love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Woman podcast. I'm Haley Chura. I'm joined with Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, I am like on cloud nine this week. It's it's just such a fun week. It is Olympic trials in the United States marathon. Wait, I'm like saying that in the wrong order. U.S. <laughs> Olympic marathon trials week. Uh, it's happening this Saturday and I'm just like buzzing. I, I think it's such a fun event to follow and cheer for and just in celebrate endurance sports. Are you excited to watch the trials? Oh, I'm so, so excited. I like, yeah, like you said, it's just such a fun thing to watch. It's such a fun thing to cheer for. I feel like there's no one in it that like, I'm not cheering for, you know? So like any way it ends up, I'm not going to be disappointed. I feel like, but it's, yeah, it's just one of like, all of Olympic stuff is this way. And I actually got really excited because Feisty Media put on their Instagram kind of like the schedule of all of these Olympic trial events, like rowing, track and field, marathon, all of it, and like put it in the dates. And I was like, oh, this is going to be really good, right? Like I'm going to I'm gonna follow this. I'm going to get into it. I'm going to figure out how to watch these things and track these things as much as I can. Um, and you got to get into it, right? It's an Olympic year. It's just, it's so much fun to like get to see that level of sporting come like I'm play so- out. I'm so glad Olympic rowing is on your radar. <laughs> we know that this is like your new favorite sport. Yes, yeah, rowing before podcast. We get, yeah. Before we get into <laughs> rowing, um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about the marathon trials. They're happening this Saturday, February 3rd, I believe. I have, I have that date right. In Orlando, Florida, they start at, I think the coverage starts at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Men start at 10, 10, women start at 10, 20. Uh, the I think you'll be able to watch it on Peacock, Peacock live yeah. if you have the yeah. Peacock app or else you can watch it on tape delay on NBC that I think might start like noon Eastern. I don't know. It's a little bit later, but, um, but if you want to watch it live Peacock, that's where I'll be watching it at 8am in Mon- mountain time. Um, I'm trying to figure out like my, my training schedule. Like if I, I might just be on the bike. Cause I feel like that might be like the best thing to be on the trainer. I can like watch it and like be inspired. And like, if I have hard intervals, I'll just be like, you know, I, I get to watch these people doing this incredible feat at the same time. But Alyssa, this has made me a little nostalgic because, you know, we did do a live show four years ago before the last Olympic marathon trials in Atlanta. So much has changed in those four years. Oh oh my gosh. So much has changed. I know if you go back and look at the photos, it's like, Oh, I was so young then. (laughs) And so innocent. I mean, I feel like I'm the same age. I just feel like I have just like lost a lot of innocence because yeah. I didn't know pandemics could happen. Yeah. In <laughs> the God. century that we live in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. I, it is crazy to think. And yeah, for you, it's probably so different to think about just where you were four years ago, right. Getting ready to like run in this. And so I, yeah. So what's your perspective on like, are you missing it a little bit? Do you wish that like you had done the cycle again and like gone for the 237? No, I, I wasn't (laughs) as inspired to go for the trials this time. I think in 2020, it was really, really important for me because it was in Atlanta. 
it was just where I was in life. I needed a little to step away from triathlon for a little bit and focus on running. And it was very, very hard for me to qualify. And it was an incredible experience running in the race. And I'm so thankful I had that experience. I think back when I talked about it, I talked about how it was probably one of the coolest experiences of my athletic career, just getting to be a part of that event. It was a record number of women. There were like 400 women in Atlanta, a city that's super important to me. It's where I got my start in endurance sports really. And I had so many people, friends and co-workers and past Georgia swimming teammates out cheering for me on the streets of Atlanta. It was so special. It was a very, very hard race for me. <laughs> it was not my best marathon, but, um, it was a really, really good race experience. I actually feel like I'm in a better place, like life-wise now. And maybe that is because I had to go through that pandemic <laughs> that came after that and things had to get much, much worse before they could get better. Maybe it's like one of those things where like after something bad happens and you're like, your baseline is like, ah, everything's great. It's, it's not like that anymore. So I don't know. I don't know, but I don't, I'm not feeling a lot of FOMO. There's a piece of me that would love to run another fast marathon, you know, to like try that again, to give myself like several months of like pure running time and, and see if I could go under 237 because that is so fast. And last time, of course, it was a 245 was a qualifying time. I ran a 243 to qualify, which was a really, really good performance for me. But I'm like, could I go sub 240? Like, could I go 237 and not necessarily even to run in the trials, but just to see if I could go that time. Cause it feels so fast, but also I'm like, yeah, it's cool. All these women are doing it. I think there's 170 that have qualified and I think 150 around then or around that amount are expected to run. And so it, if they can do it, maybe I can too. So maybe that's like in the future for me, not near future. <laughs> My marathoning's on hiatus. And now I only do uh, Disney runs, but, um, <laughs> but you know, I think that's something that like keeps me excited about being athletic and being in sports is like the idea that maybe I could do that. Oh, I love it. I would be there every step of the way cheering for you on that 237. Maybe when you do that, I'll return to my sub three hour goal that I still need to check off my bucket list as well um, and give that another shot because I do think I think that'll be in the future at some point again once I'm once I am running. <laughs> Good. No, I think that is. And I think it is like, it is kind of fun when you're going for a time goal. It's so different mm -hmm. than triathlon because I mean, sure, we sometimes have triathlon time goals, but a lot of the times our times are so course dependent and condition dependent that times don't mean a whole lot. And it's more about racing, which can be very fun. It can be very fun to just like race and not really worry about your watch. But there is something kind of fun and different challenge to go for a time goal and like figuring out what race course suits you and like what time of year. And then, you know, trying to make all the conditions line up and just like go for it. I think that is very cool. But I know there was a lot of worry in Orlando about it being really hot, but to me, it doesn't seem, I think the high I was like in the seventies, which I'm like, as a triathlete, I'm like, wow, that's, that's chilly. But um, I know for runners that is still quite warm. What do you think about, uh, Orlando conditions as far as like run course conditions? Do you think we'll have a fast race? Um, you know, I feel like it's always like, to, I mean, for someone like me when, yeah, like going under three hours is, seems really fast. Right. I feel like it's always really fast. Like even when the, the top women are saying it's going to be slow. Right. I feel like they still somehow pull it out. Right. And we've seen that before. We've seen that happen in, in various marathon conditions and things like that, that even when conditions aren't aligning, maybe for like world record pace, it's still going to be really fast. So I do believe that. I think some of these women are really fit and ready to rip like 
regardless of 70 degrees or 60 degrees on the day, I think that's going to happen. Um, and I, I'm just like, yeah, I'm excited to see because I haven't paid too much attention to like update. I mean, there's so many women running, you can't follow everyone and be on top of everyone who to confirm, right. That they are going to be starting and things like that. But I do feel like in general, the pre-race murmurs are there. I mean, there's a lot of really strong women starting this race. And I think, you know, it's going to keep it honest. It's going to keep it fast, right? Like they're going to be racing for the Olympic spots, right? That's going to be a fast race. They're not going to hold back. I don't think, I think if anything in the last four years we've watched in women's sports is that like women are, are racing now. Right. And I think it has evolved and it's, yeah, I think they're going to go for it. I hope they do. So it's so interesting having been in that race in Atlanta, like four years ago, it started out really slow. So mm -hmm. like the first mile we were like, it felt like we were barely moving. Like it starts out very, very slow. And then it like, it does kick in, but it is like a very tactical race. And so even though the end result times end up being really fast, I think it's different than a race like Chicago, where the women will have male payers and they are going, you know, exactly I don't know, like 520 something pace from like the very first mile. I don't think in these Olympic trials, Olympics, Paralympics, I don't think that happens. I think there's a little bit more tactics involved. And so I think that's what makes it very interesting. No one is race to rabbit. Everyone is out for themselves. And I think that could impact things on unfold. And I imagine this course in Orlando is pretty flat. Um, so than what we saw in Atlanta because Atlanta had quite a few hills. I, uh, I don't know though. I mean, sometimes flat doesn't mean easy. I mean, it never means easier. It just means sometimes a little faster, maybe, or a little maybe. more uncomfortable in those yeah. miles. <laughs> um, Haley, so let's get into our picks. Did you, did you make some picks for who you think might be taking these spots? I did. I have like so many crossed out names and everything. And I'm, you know, it's always like, oh, do you go with your you know, Heart what do you go ahead? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But here's, here's where I am right now. I think first I'm going with Kira D'Amato, uh, because, you know, former record holder, American record holder, she ran really, she had ran that American record in Houston, which I, for some reason in my head, I imagine Orlando is somewhat like Houston, like a lot of concrete and flat. And I know Orlando could be a little warmer than Houston, but I just feel like uh, I hear the rumors on Strava that she's been posting some very impressive workouts. And while I am unable to really figure out how to use Strava, I can trust other people can figure that one out. Number two, I'm going to go with Nell Rojas, who Ooh, has been okay. a Iron Woman podcast guest. You know, I love our alums and I feel like some of our alums have been doing really, really impressive things in uh, recent years. You know, we had, we had Lucy Charles Barkley on and then she won the world championship <laughs> We had uh, we had Caroline Gleick on. Now she's running for U.S. Senate, and I mean I could go on and on. We have had some really impressive people. So I mean Nell has been on the show Olympian. I mean I feel like that fits. And then third, I'm actually going with <laughs> this is where you can tell I went off. I'm going with McKenna Morley, who I don't think many other people are picking, but she lives in Bozeman. I think she's been injured, but I saw her running on the treadmill, so she hasn't seen that injured anymore. So I think she's just going to go do it and do really well. I've seen her running Alyssa sometimes, and it is. It is fascinating because actually what's so impressive, I usually see her when she's running like very easy with her dog and she's going very slow. And I feel like that 
it helps remind me like that's actually like how really, really fast runners run is that they don't run really, really fast all the time. And sometimes, you know, they run with their dog and they run slow. And that's actually one of the biggest memories I have from trials last time was I was warming up in the warm up little area behind Sally Kipiego, who ended up getting second. And she was going like so slow, like so slow, like slower than even me. And I'm not known for like fast warm ups. And I think there's just something to learn from that. So those are my three. <laughs> and then we are picking a dark mare, right? Yeah, let's do it. So someone who I think is going very much under the radar, but maybe won't sneak onto the Olympic team, but like top 10, top 15, which I feel like would be winning at the Olympic trials ish. I mean, you don't make the Olympic team, but you still have very impressive human. Um, I'm going to go with Caitlin Donner because she, uh, raced pro triathlon for a while. And I think was the only name I saw on the list. Apologies. If I miss someone, let me, let me know if I did miss any triathletes who are, uh, racing in trials this year, but she, um, also has agreed to come on the show next week <laughs> to talk about the experience. So, um, I really am rooting for Caitlin and we'll learn more about her hopefully next week. But if anyone is in Orlando and could, you know, catch a picture of Caitlin in action and email it to me or DM it to me, we'll maybe use that as our, uh, thumbnail. <laughs> so I'll give you credit. Let me know. Oh, I love it. I love it. Those are really good picks. I feel like my picks are going to be like, really exposing the fact that I was totally going with my heart and I'm like exposing my age major in this because I will refuse to go into an Olympic trials pick and pick anyone other than Sarah Hall um, as one of my picks. She, I just like, I, I love watching her run. I think like, it's just, she runs with so much guts, so much heart. And like, it's just very inspiring for me. I followed her career now for years. And like, I would just love to see her on that team. Um, and same with my pick. I can't not pick Des Linden. Like, I just can't do it, Haley. I tried to not do it. And I just can't not root for her, right? Because, I mean, it's she's like, doesn't know me from a fly on the wall. But it's like, I feel like, you know, we've been watching her career now the whole time. We've been racing professionally. And like, you feel like you like want to root for the underdog a lot of times, right? When you have felt like an underdog sometimes in your career. And so, she just really wears that like underdog cape so well, I think. And you just can't not cheer for her. She loves dogs. She put together that like Olympic trials runners and their dogs play day. Did you see that on Instagram? No, I have. Okay. I, I think I saw like a link to that in the Fast okay. Women newsletter, but yeah. I haven't clicked on it yet. So yeah. it's worth clicking. It's worth clicking. I will. Um, it's like hilarious. Just, I mean, right. Dogs are just like so funny and it is funny. I was just thinking like, oh my gosh, if I ever would to go and bring my dogs, they would be like the two that got in the fight with like everyone else's dogs. <laughs> Your dog like, like attacks well yeah, dogs. Like, I'd be way too nervous to ever show up with like all of these people's dogs, right? In case they were to happen. But it looks like they had a good time, right? She like did that. I think that's great. I just, I, I yeah, I can't not cheer for her. Um, my third pick is Kira D'Amato. I think that she is, um, super strong right now. I think she's like coming into her time. I'm hoping it's her time, right. To 
get that spot. Um, and then my dark mare, we talked about this a little bit and you said, I hate when people pick dark mares that should really be podium picks. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of what I did here. But a little, no, no Rojas, you picked her for the podium. She is, I think in a lot of people's minds, a dark horse, right? So it's a little bit of a gray area. I believe she's like a firm contender for, you know, top five there. Um, but I'm still putting her as my dark mare because like you said, we love our iron women guests and I will cheer for them, um, the whole time. So I'm, I'm really excited. I think I am lining up my ride. I think I'll be riding two during that time because it's like perfect trainer material, as you said. Um, actually last this past week on the trainer, um, Haley, I watched, have you seen the documentary, the Kelsey documentary on? No, I Rest haven't, but that Taylor? sounds exactly up my alley. Okay. It's so good. So good. I mean, is it about, about Taylor Swift? Is it about all. Jason Kelsey or is it yes, about the Kelsey it's brothers? About Jason it's about Kelsey, Jason Kelsey. Who, and okay. he's like, he's very endearing. I think it actually was really interesting. So I listened to your interview from last week and, um, about retirement and like, you know, leaving the sport and kind of like your legacy. Right. And then the documentary with Jason Kelsey talks a lot about his like decision in football. Like he's facing the end of his career in retirement and would he retire and things like that. And I am a new football fan this season because of Taylor Swift. So I knew none of this backstory, right. I knew like nothing about him going into this pretty blind other than the things I've seen about him on Instagram and really, really, really good. Um, perfect trainer material, like definitely highly recommend. So, um, it's been, it's been a good week, a few weeks on the, between Nyad and that, like we're on a, a roll now with trainer material. This, this is good. I do have to ask because the chiefs played the Ravens. You're from Baltimore last yeah. weekend. Who were you rooting for? I, I was rooting for the Ravens, I will say. Um, but I also, again, it's like watching the Olympic trials marathon. It's like, I wasn't going to be disappointed, right? However it ended up. Um, but I was rooting for the Ravens. They did not, not play too well, but that's okay. I, I'm a new, like football NFL fan as well. So thank you. <laughs> Kudos to Taylor Swift. She has brought some of us in there. I have never, I haven't looked forward to a Super Bowl, like the actual Super Bowl <laughs> this much in uh, a, a lot time. of years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So very, very excited. Congratulations to the Chiefs. And thank you to Taylor Swift for just so much happy entertainment. Um, but one more thing about Sarah Hall's run form, do you, whenever you're, I mean, I know you've been a little bit injured lately, but when you're like doing really hard intervals, do you ever like try Like, I will be like, okay, just pretend you're like Sarah Hall yes. at the end of the London marathon yes. and like put your head back and like have your hands your like, chest totally forward open. and like pull yourself your fingers, with your like, arms. Open. Yes. <laughs> I, and I tell, I actually like tell athletes, I coach, I'm like, when you are running a 200, I'll like send them a video of that moment. And I'm like, you want to run like this, right? Like. <gasps> That is like giving your heart into every single like step of that. And it's, I mean, it's amazing. That's why I love watching her run a marathon like that, because I'm just like, holy moly, I can do that for like a hundred meters, 200 meters max. Right. But like, it's so, it's just so inspiring to watch. It's so inspiring. It's just, just be such a weekend. We have some sporting event weekends coming up, but uh, so, so excited to watch those Olympic trials. And Alyssa, I know last week we put out a call on our mailbag for rowing information, because as we alluded, rowing is your is your new passion. And it seems to be a passion that is actually shared by a lot of people in the triathlon community. So if anyone does still want to write in ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com with either your rowing stats or general triathlon questions, or, you know, if you have a trials commentary or a NFL commentary, I guess now. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, keep that, take keep all that minimal. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I we did get a comment in from Royce about rowing, and she sent us a video of a, a new challenge, and you watched that. What did you think? Oh my gosh, this challenge is would be really, really hard. So the challenge is, I guess the um University of Washington Huskies do this, the rowing team. It's a 10K row and then a 10K run, Haley. And the 10K, so both of those are like, I mean, I can't even really imagine doing a 10K hard for time. Everyone think about it. 2K takes me un- just under eight minutes. So you're looking at probably like 45 minutes of really, really hard rowing. And then Haley, you were with me, I think probably the last time I ran a 10K. I don't think I've run a 10K since Peachtree. What was that? No like way. I really don't. I no, that was like run... 2013. Oh my... <laughs> like 11 years. <laughs> it was, I mean, it's been, I don't, I maybe ran a 10K on a track once during COVID for fun. And like, again, I was trying to break 40 and I didn't. <laughs> so I, I mean, again, so that would be a 10K pretty fast, hard effort would be like a 40 or under. Right. So like, is this, and is this like a quick transition? So like you're going straight from the rowing machine. Yeah. Out it to looked the like run. they were doing, it looked like that's what they were doing. Um, and then the, but their 10 K it was like on stadium steps. They took them through the stadium. They took them like off-road on gravel, huge hills. It looked like, like not going to be something where it's like a super, I mean, not that a 10 K on a track is easy too. Right. But you can kind of like fake it a little bit more. That seems so, so hard to do the 10 K 10 K. But I think once I'm running again, that might be a fun challenge for me as I'm like getting back to fitness. Right. Um, what about if you'd made it a trap, if you do a 10 K 10 K swim, you need to do the swim first, probably right. 10 K. Yeah. 10k row 10k run yeah yeah oh god that would just be (laughs) (laughs) only only you and maybe Royce will ask I need like a 10th anniversary of something to like maybe get me to like to do that right so like I don't know or maybe yeah we'll have to to what if we add a fourth Um, I'm trying to think what the fourth 10k would be we could do it for our 40th oh (laughs) (laughs) that might be a stretch four by 10k for our 40th it would take like all day. Yeah, it would take um, all, we have all, some time all, to come up with that. If anyone okay. has ideas, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Um, but Haley, one other quick rowing tip that I saw. So I don't know if you've caught that um, Sebastian Keenley has like taken on like CrossFit-esque, like the Hydrox kind of competitiveness. I don't know if you've been noticing. Oh, no, I haven't. So Hydrox, I think that's how you say this. It's like... Um, not, it's like another, it's not Spartan racing. It's not those kind, but it's like a really hard, like strength and sprinting and strength and sprinting, like high intensity type of competition. Right. And it's like this new thing. I think there's some money in it for the elite athletes doing it, whatever. So Sebastian Keenley was like, I'm going to do this. And so he's been like putting out some of his training and like results. And so he raced one of the events this last weekend. And in that is rowing and it's a one K row. And it's granted it's after some other sprinting and some like strength stuff, but he only was, he did his 1k row in four minutes and 15 seconds. And I was like, boom, I can out row. No JV boat, no JV boat for Sebastian Keenley. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there that, um, he really could step up his rowing game if he wants, if he wants some tips right to our mailbag and maybe I'll pass them on. You know, eventually I'm going to, you're going to get me on this rowing machine at the gym. Just cause I, I need some context, but, um, you know, cool to see that he's still doing sports. Of course, that is past Ironman world champion, recently retired 
great, great athlete. We admire him here at our women's podcast, <laughs> but, um, but you know, there's, there's, uh, there's still some admiration there, especially, especially if we can uh, decide if they belong in the JV boat or not. <laughs> and Haley, we have a really fun interview for everyone this week. Um, this week I talked to Lucy Gossage and Lucy is a five-time Ironman champ. She was ninth at the 2016 Kona World Championships. Um, and that was just eight weeks after breaking her collar from that year. I don't know if you remember that one. Um, but I actually didn't talk to Lucy about really any of her triathlon career. Um, she retired from that in 2018. And since her retirement, Lucy has not stopped moving. She is a full-time oncologist and she still makes time for adventure and a passion project of hers, a nonprofit called Move Against Cancer. Lucy combined these two in her latest feat as she raced 268 miles across the UK in the Montaigne Winter Spine Race. This is a non-stop 268-mile race in the middle of the UK winter. It just happened a couple weeks ago. It is gnarly. Lucy came in third for women in the race and with the help of fellow pro triathlete Nikki Bartlett running her social medias while she ran. She's raised over $32,000 for Move Against Cancer with all of this. So it was truly the adventure of a lifetime. We are so happy Lucy made time not long after she was finishing to chat all about that. We get into a lot more of the details of exactly what the race entailed in this chat too. So it's really, really, really interesting to hear. Um, and you'll hear from Lucy after a word from our sponsors. Happy New Year, Iron Women podcast listeners. For those of you new to the show, we want to tell you about Pillar. Pillar is a sports micronutrition company who have developed products that intersect between pharmaceutical intervention and sports supplements for athletes. The easiest way to describe it is hydration and carbohydrates products that will take you through to the finish line. Pillar's mission is to get athletes to the start line in the best condition over and over again. After seeing athletes like 2022 Ironman world champion Chelsea Sidero and 2016 Olympic gold medalist Gwen Jorgensen post about using Pillar to improve their sleep performance, I decided to give Pillar triple magnesium a try. I take it about 60 minutes before bed and I do actually feel like I sleep deeper and recover better. In the same way I love to start my day with a coffee, I now wind it down with a cup of Pillar triple magnesium and recover better for tomorrow's training. If you would like to make Pillar part of your 2024 New Year routine and you're in the U.S., head to thefeed.com slash Pillar and enter code FEISTY for 15% off of your first purchase. For our international listeners, head to PillarPerformance.shop and that's code FEISTY for 15% off of all first-time purchases. Hi, Lucy. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. We are so excited to have you back. Hi, I didn't think I'd uh, I'd be back on an Iron Woman podcast. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah, it's funny how things change, right? I guess the the interpretation of Iron Women uh, leaves it open for the endeavors you've been tackling most recently. Um, and Lucy, you are coming off of a huge event, not an Iron Man, so not what my, people might have expected. You just recently raced the Montaigne Winter Spine. Um, race. And I'm just going to kind of read the blurb about the race um, for our <laughs> listeners here. Um, it is widely regarded as Britain's most brutal endurance race, a nonstop 268 mile race along the iconic and demanding national trail in Britain, the Penine Way. 
Runners have a time limit of seven days to finish. They will climb over 10,000 meters, 30,000 feet as the route crosses some of the most beautiful but difficult terrain in England. They will experience the full intensity and ferocity, I love the word ferocity, of the British winter, including deep snow, storm force winds, and driving rain. So this is like front and center on the Winter Spine <laughs> website. So I have to ask, what exactly about any of that <laughs> sounded appealing to you? And that's coming from someone, I love the mountains, I love adventures and all sort of, you know, terrain and conditions. But even that to me is like, you know, uh, it's a special someone that see that reads that and says, I want to do this. Do you know what, when I... um. When I first heard about it, I thought exactly that. Um, I mean, I, I guess I thought I loved being out in the hills and the mountains. Um, but for me, it was the, the the not sleeping and the continuous nature of it that I was just like, that is utterly bonkers. Who would want to do that? It's grim in the winter. You don't even get, you know, you don't even get eight hours of daylight. But I think it's quite similar in the way that Ironman started when there's a little seed planted. And then I started to listen to some podcasts and learn a little bit more about it. The the kind of ridiculousness nature of the events, little by little sucked me in. Um, and the more kind of long days I did and the more like night, I did a couple of night things and the more it sucked me in. And actually at the start of last year, when I entered, it was very much... Um, do you know what? This feels impossible. And that's why I want to put my name down because it's four years since I retired, four years, something like five years since I retired from triathlon. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like I was ready for a, for a challenge, not a competitive. So it was never about racing for me. It was about competing with myself and pushing myself. And so I think it was the, the craziness of it that sucked me in. <laughs> And I've read some of the things you've written about it. And in, in one spot, you wrote that the race was actually two and a half years in the making, you know, in, in its way. And so this is coming from someone who is Ironman champion, right? Super fit. Like, you know, you've, you've done very impressive endurance feats. So I think people would be surprised to know that, like, you know, it was it was a long time in the making. So what, you know, what was... You talked a little bit about kind of, you know, entering and feeling impossible last year as you signed up. But, you know, when was that seed really first planted in your head? At, at what point was that? So it was um, it was two and a half years ago. And, um, yeah, my partner at the time and I uh, were looking. So it was just after COVID and we were looking to stay somewhere in Wales for the week. You couldn't really travel anywhere. And all the B&Bs were closed. Um, and we came across this walk across Wales. So we thought, well, we can't get a B&B in one place. Why not like walk from point to point? Um, and he said, do you want to do it? And I was like, do you know what? That sounds great. You know, walking, how hard can it be walking across Wales? But it turns out that as a runner, and I think this is the biggest challenge actually for, for runners, runners to transition into really long distance, you have to slow down so massively and actually get used to being on your feet all day. Um, so that was, that was a crazy 10 days. It was so much fun. Um, but it was also so much harder than I realized. And we were doing, I think we, we averaged maybe 28 miles a day, mostly walking. So we had quite big packs. Um, and that was kind of the start of the falling in love with point to points. Um, and then since then we've done loads, we've done pretty much every trail in the UK, gradually kind of building up the distance, building up the speed, building up the packs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think 
as I started falling in love with that, I then listened to some podcasts about the spine. Little by little, it went from being, oh my God, that sounds ridiculous to being actually, that sounds quite intriguing. I wonder if I could do it. Um, and, and by the time I got to the start line, I knew I could do it if I said I was going to do it in seven days because that's 40 miles a day. I knew I could do that, but I wasn't trying to do it in seven days. I was trying to push myself. So there, there was that whole unknown about sleep, which ultimately was my downfall. Um, and that was the bit that that I was so nervous, like so, so nervous, um, but also really excited because it's the first time in so long that I've I've set myself up for something that that I genuinely think I might not might not be able to succeed at. And so, you know, I love that concept of slowing down. And I think our listener base is obviously triathletes, Ironman athletes who they don't like to do that, right? They say, I don't like hiking. I can just run this, you know? And so can you talk a little bit about like, have you come to like the fitness? Because, you know, it's hard to sometimes explain to people that like, no, you can be super fit and super strong going slowly, right? And so have you come to like the fitness that comes with slowing down and kind of, you know, being forced to go longer and and do that hike? Or are you like, no, I'll take my Ironman run it any day fitness? No, do you know, do you know, what? I, I retired kind of before COVID and then COVID came and it was like the, the perfect transition because swimming stopped, everything stops. And actually it made me take a step back and, and think, do I really want to continue with triathlon training just because that's what we've always done or do I want to do something different? So I'd, I'd kind of slowly lost a bit of kind of top end fitness, but I still I'll always exercise. I've always done stuff. Um, I think I'm nowhere near as fit or fast now, nowhere near um, as I was back then. But I'm so much stronger, like my muscles and my tendons and my ligaments and everything seem to be touch wood, <laughs> so much more robust. And I, I guess I think when I started, you know, I was like a two hour runs a really long run because you I never ran slower than eight minute miles like it just didn't wasn't even in my radar that you'd run slower than eight minute miles whereas now an eight minute mile is a pretty quick mile <laughs> but I can easily <laughs> keep going for you know if someone said do 50 miles tomorrow I'd be like yeah happy days off we go um so it's a completely different mentality and I think the the whole it's actually quite a good way of, of of stepping back from being competitive because any metrics are so far removed when you're on the trails, particularly in the spine, because you've got a maybe, I think my pack was about eight kilos when it's filled up with food and water. So so that's a heavy pack um, to run with. So any metrics of speed, like if you do four miles an hour, you are like, woo, 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 I am bossing it, which in runner's terms is, you know, it's not even worth getting out of bed for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, let's talk a little bit about the kit requirements for the spine race. They are pretty stringent. Um, you know, we like Haley and I on Iron Women have joked before when I've done some trail racing that it's it's a heavy backpack race, right? Like you got to carry a lot of stuff with you. Um, a lot of it for safety, right? And preparedness. This race is also, you know, unsupported in the sense that there's no aid stations kind of out on, you know, giving supplies, but there are checkpoints. And I believe at those checkpoints, you kind of, you have a bag and you can access the bag there, right? So um, can you tell a little bit, you know, about what goes, goes into the kit? And then um, did you do a lot of your training with, with the backpack on? Was a lot of your run training with that? Yeah, so the kit list is, I think there's 34 items, including a poo shovel, <laughs> um, a poo shovel, goggles, uh, you know, yak track, like ice spike things, 
So there's a load of stuff. Um, you have to have a sleeping bag and a bivy bag and a, basically you have to be self-sufficient, a stove. Um, so I didn't enjoy the buying kit. Um, I found it a lot of faff and actually coming closer to the event, I was suddenly like, oh my God, it's it could be really cold, which it was. Yeah, I need to suddenly get six pairs of gloves and six pairs of waterproof socks and all of that. But, so I'm not, uh, I like the doing, not the not the planning side of things. Um, I guess with the point to points, I'd be, been running with a pack, but a smaller pack, so probably about four or five kilos. Um, I think after, from September onwards, I did one really big day every single week with a pack. Um, and at the end, I was just, I was just so used to it. I think some people say you don't need to train for the pack, but I would argue you 100% do. Um, particularly, you know, I'm like 55 kilos, something like that, 58, whatever it is. But it's probably 15% of my body weight that you're you're lugging around extra. Um, so, yeah, I did quite a lot of training with the pack. What size, do you know how many liters, like what the volume of the pack was that you were carrying? 20 liters, 20 plus. Okay. Yeah, which is more than enough. So that had ample space for kind of, so you weren't playing Jenga every time you left the checkpoint. And then you were also wearing like the waist pack in addition, right? Which seems, and then, so what were you, it looked like you had the full backpack, some hydration kind of in the bottles on your chest and then um, like a, a fanny pack essentially, right? Um, so like what was kind of your quick access there that you were using? So I, I had a bum bag, like a fanny pack, and then I had a, a belt and then the bum bag broke. So I just went for the belt, but I, I needed okay. so I had like side pockets on the side of my pack that I can put food in. Um, but I wanted stuff to put like lip balm and have easy access food, somewhere to put your gloves when you take your gloves off, um, all of that kind of things. A lot of people have chest packs, which are actually, I think if I ever did something like that again, I might go to because they're just so convenient. And the reality is you're, you know, you go into it and you run, you think you're going to be running it. We you know you're not really, but you are, you are running the first like 80 miles. And then the amount of running further on from that is really, really tiny, even at the front end, I think. Um, so, you know, the bouncing and stuff is far less, less worrisome. And so what was your training like, you know, 268 miles, it's like, uh, you know, your brain kind of explodes a little bit, right? <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, I tend to think that's in the, the sort of mileage where it's like, you're not really going to train for, you're going to get your body strong and like mentally prepared. Right. But, um, so, you know, how did you, how did you approach the training? Because I, you're full-time as an oncologist right now am I correct with that yeah yeah okay. so you don't have all the time in the world these days no do you know I think that's probably good for me it stops me overtraining um so I, I like I, I haven't driven into work for four years so I I would always run or cycle into work which is you know minimum 10k each way um so that was kind of a bulk of it and then I just, I do big days every single weekend. So big day was kind of up to 45 miles, um, just out in the hills with a pack. Um, and I think the the key for, for me actually was lots of multi-day point to points mm -hmm. um, where you're having a good, decent sleep, but just getting that day after day after day. Because <clears throat> what I found is that one day you could kind of get through and, and think, yeah, I'm fine. And then it was day three that you realized which niggles were starting to come and which bits were starting to rub and, um, they were the bits, they were the days that I think were really, really important. Um, but I just, I just loved it. I mean, you say training, I wouldn't say, so the, the, the things that I would say training, I did two strength sessions a week in the gym, which I don't particularly enjoy, but, um, I made myself do that. That was like a non-negotiable. If you enter, you're going to do that. And I do a, I like, um, power yoga session once a week, which again, I don't particularly enjoy, but I think the older you get the more, the more you have to do that. And the rest was was literally just commuting, a little bit of biking, and then adventures. So yeah, just fun days out in the hills. 
Okay. And so I, you know, I mentioned that this is an unsupported race, but there, um, it did seem like you had a little bit of, of support. I think, I believe Nikki Bartlett was, um, <laughs> running your social media, which was very fun, um, for the triathlon fans to see all of the crossover there. And so, um, but at the checkpoints, are you allowed to have friends and family come to the checkpoints? Um, you know, it seems like you could kind of text friends and family throughout. Is that true too? Yeah, so you can you can do what you want on the phone. Um, okay. they they're very strict supporters. I mean, they they say you're not really meant to have supporters, but people can pop up every now and then. Um, you're definitely not allowed to get anything off supporters or even have a hug. So it has to be very much a, a wave. And if they're going to wave, kind of once or twice, not more than that. Um, at the the checkpoints, so the checkpoints are my downfall because. They are so busy. So you have a 20 kilo bag that take gets taken from checkpoint to checkpoint and each checkpoint's maybe 40 to 50 miles. I think the furthest was 60 miles apart. So it's a big chunk of time. Um, and I just plan to sleep at the checkpoints. You kind of envisage you'd go in, you'd sort your stuff out, you'd have a nice sleep, off you'd go on your way. But they are just, they're just absolute carnage. You go in, you've been on your own for hours. And then all of a sudden people are bustling around. There's no space. There's nowhere to sit. Like your bag is there. You're trying to keep on track of everything. And then when you go to sleep, you have to close your bag up because there's not enough space. It has to get put on the pile. And then, you know, you're sleeping in this shared room and people are coughing and talking. And I just couldn't sleep in the checkpoints. I just, I tried so hard. I think one, I had one hour. Um, and then I started developing this really bad cough, which made sleeping even worse. So my sleep just got less and less and less. And that was my um that was my downfall. Um, which yeah, made the last 45 miles so hard. I was in such a hole. <laughs> and we will get to that for sure. Um so did you it sounds like then your sleep strategy was to arrive at a checkpoint and kind of would you did you have planned like, you know, I'm hoping to be going this pace and I would take X amount of sleep at, you know, these checkpoints and sort of thing, or were you going to wing it a little bit more than that? Did you have a specific st sleep strategy? So it was always, the second checkpoint was at 108 miles. So it was always going to get to there mm -hmm. and try and sleep. And then after that, it was like, who knows, this is unknown territory. Um, but the problem is I got to her, the 108 mile checkpoint so much earlier than I thought I was going to. So like one o'clock in the afternoon, it was, it was super cold, but gloriously sunny. So I got in there and it's just not, I was exhausted, but it's just not the right time for your body to sleep. So I lay down for half an hour and I was like, this is stupid. Like I may as well get up the mountain in the sunlight. Um, so just set off. And that was kind of the unknown night to never been here before. You know, everyone's done kind of 30 hours without sleep, haven't they? You get, you're doing a night shift or whatever. But um, that was the start of the unknown and yeah, I never really had a sleep strategy. I thought I would sleep a lot more than I did. Um, and I also thought I'd go quicker than I would. Um, but obviously, the less you're sleeping, <laughs> the slower you get. <laughs> and it still feels just as hard, right? It feels like you're almost moving faster, I feel like, as you slow down without that Absolutely, sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, from a racing standpoint, Lucy, I'm curious how it unfolded, because I was not watching the whole week and um you know really from the beginning they did a great job of of highlighting kind of you know a lot of the the athletes racing but they definitely do focus on the front runners in the men's and the women's race and in the women's race um Claire Banworth was returning mm -hmm. she had won the spine race last year she's very well known in the U.S. for some 
uh, long trail FKTs that she holds and things like that. And crazy, crazy mileage that that woman can, can manage <laughs> to do. Right. Um, and so, you know, but the, and there was also legendary Nikki Spinks racing, right. People who just like tried and true have done really hard things. Right. And you, you expect them to succeed. And then your name was definitely being thrown out as like, you know, Ironman champion, Lucy Gossage, let's see how she does taking this on. So you mentioned you weren't necessarily really racing, racing, but you also said you didn't want to be out there for seven days. Right. So, you know, did your strategy about that shift as days unfolded, or was that a helpful motivator even at times to keep you going to get in the race mode? No, if I'm honest, I would have liked to have to have not had a race. Um, so I, I re I genuinely wasn't racing anyone else, and I I actually at no point did anyone apart from the first 30, 40 miles when everyone was like, "You're fourth." I'm like, "Yeah, we've got two hundred and twenty eight miles to go." <laughs> um, but I I genuinely didn't know what position I was, and I was almost actively trying not to know. So there was a tracker. I never looked at the tracker once. Um. I, I had no idea. Actually, the girl that was um, the girl that finished just behind me, but had got given the bonus. I, when I was hallucinating in the church, I thought I'd seen her go off ahead of me, so I just thought she was ahead. So, yeah, I, I genuinely, genuine, and I, people won't believe it, but I genuinely wasn't racing anybody against my other other than myself, um, and I wasn't asking for any feedback or anything other than that. And to some ways, I, you know, I always wish I hadn't been in that that kind of race at the start because I so I assumed that Nikki Spinks because I hadn't seen her I just assumed that she'd pulled out it never crossed my mind that I'd have been ahead of her I just thought well Nikki Spinks would have pulled out and you know there were so many so many strong women in there um but yeah I I, I genuinely wasn't doing it as a race and I think a lot of people watching the dots because what ultimately happened as I found out when I crossed the finish line was that I crossed the finish line in second place. There was someone just behind me, Hannah, about, I don't know, 15, 10 minutes, whatever it was, but she had been given a bonus. So I didn't know, A, I didn't know she was behind me. I thought she was ahead of me. B, I didn't know anything about the bonus. And I think the race kind of, you know, that's one that it was a bit of a sour feeling that I wasn't allowed to celebrate with my family when I finished because they had to drag me off to tell me this. I, I guess expected I'd kick off, but I was like, I honestly don't care. I've just finished the spine race. That's all I ever wanted. Um, so yeah, it, it wasn't really a, a race against anyone other than myself. Yeah. And I, you know, to give a little bit more detail. So I, um, Hannah had helped another competitor, I believe one of the overnights. And so they were, you know, the race officials were able to kind of look at paces, I guess. I don't know exactly how they figured it out, but they were kind of able to estimate an allotted time that she probably lost staying with that competitor to make sure they were safe. Um, and then, you know, they, they credited her back. <clears throat> and so that was how that, that shuffled. And it actually was, you know, it is, it is sad to hear that, it, you know, cause for us at home, we all knew, and it was like celebrating for you regardless, right? Like a podium spot, second or third, like, oh my gosh, you made it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I feel like the dot watchers at least did get kind of that celebratory feeling for you. It's, it's super fun to get to see the feeds of people coming in at that point um my dot the people dot watching me were more just relieved that I'd made <laughs> because they saw my dot wiggling and wobbling and going off course and doing god knows what so um I think most of the people following me 
yeah, I'm sure they would have liked me to to overall finish ahead, but um, I think they were more just get to the line. <laughs> yeah, they were happy you were safe and sound. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, reading some of your recaps, and I, I definitely encourage people to go onto your Instagram and and check some of those out. Go onto the, the Facebook page for the Spine Race. They have really, really good YouTubes and all sorts of coverage that kind of outline things that were happening. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about two moments in particular that I've, I've read about. The first, um, you know, I think this was maybe like the first or second night you were out there. Um, and I have to ask about the darkness, you know, just in general, like you mentioned, eight hours of daylight, that's nothing, <laughs> right? Like nothing. So 16 hours in the dark every day, continuing to move um, is really tough. So, you know, did you mentally prepare a lot for that? Is it just you live in the UK, you're kind of used to a lot of darkness in the winter. And so you weren't too worried. How did you, how did you approach that? You know, I, I do quite like being out at night, but I, you know, when we talk about being out at night, it's talking about like five hours of night, not 16 hours. Um, I, I, I didn't know how that would be. And the first night was very sociable. There were loads of people around. I was running with some guys the second night I was on my own. And that was the night where I'd, I'd first night that I really needed to sleep. Um, and I downloaded hundreds of podcasts. I downloaded loads of playlists. I just thought I'd need so much mental stimulation. But actually, I just, I just really enjoyed being on my own and in my head. And you know, I I've never taken drugs, but I imagine that that feeling <laughs> I have, you know, the good kind of side of sleep deprivation. Like I had the bad side right at the end, but the good side where everything's just amplified you're getting a few hallucinations but they're kind of quite cool and you're just very aware of everything and it, I just it felt utterly surreal that second night and I was um I was so actually what one of the funny things that was happening was I was getting really bad cold induced asthma so a lot of people were getting it because it was so cold I don't think it ever went above zero um, but I, I didn't realize that a second night this was happening and I was hearing this and then this and I'd kept the, the high pitch one. I was like, people are cheering me. And then the other one, I looked around and were like, someone's saying something. And it was just my <laughs> weave. <laughs> um, and then when I was getting tired, I kept seeing, I was like, I just need to find somewhere to nap. Um, and eventually I found a hut. But before then I kept seeing tents. I said, there's a tent. I can go and lie down in that tent. <laughs> and then I'd get close to be like, no, that's just a sheep. <laughs> oh. <laughs> also sounds like a warm place to lay with the sheep, right? So, um, and I think one of those early nights was when you were, so this was interesting for those of us dot watching is, um, you know, it got to a point where maybe going into the third day where the weather had clearly turned, right? You guys actually had pretty decent, right, winter conditions to start. And then it did turn. It stayed really cold. It was getting colder. Weather was moving in. And the faster athletes were kind of already past the, the decision point. And you guys were out there often alone, right, in in a mountain pass, kind of, right, trying to to navigate through this. The, the latter athletes were actually being held. I think they had to wait until three athletes were ready to go. And then they could go on and kind of navigate those conditions together in a group of three. Um, but you, it sounds like we're out there in the thick of it, right? Like alone. And you've, you've obviously dealt with so much adversity through a high level athletic career, but this kind of adversity is, is different. This is legit, right? Like an yeah. Ironman, Ironman adversity, like someone's watching you maybe like sit on a curb and have a hard time. Right. If like, it's like worst case scenario, but this is, 
Lucy Gossage alone on a mountaintop in a blizzard, right? Like in that, the dark. <laughs> that was um that was one of two times that I was scared. So um yeah, like you say, the race got paused, but it got paused after I'd started going up. So I had no idea about any of this until I got to the next checkpoint. So you go up Crossfell, which is probably the most exposed part of the Pennine Way. Um uh, I, I don't know how high it is, but it started snowing. It was still light whilst I was going up. Um, started snowing really heavily. I got a video just because it would look quite cool. And then it got dark and then this blizzard started and you could literally see two meters ahead of you. Li nothing more than that. So you couldn't see any landmarks. Um, and my Garmin froze, like actually froze because there was, I, I mean, I'm sure they shouldn't, but mine, mine did. It got covered in ice, wouldn't just, just, just froze. So I was off course with some rock on some rocks. I had literally no idea where I was, no navigation to follow, couldn't see any landmarks. So you have to have a handheld navigation device. So I tried to get that out, but I couldn't because it was so rocky and so icy. I couldn't stand up because I was I was just in these, I somehow ended up in these big boulders. And I I do remember, I mean, my friends who were dot watching were just like, you took such a lot of time up there. Um, I, I, I That was really scary. But eventually I managed to defrost my Garmin kind of by my way back to the trail. And then, then there's a hut on the way down that I went to um, and kind of warmed up and things. But yeah, that was one time where I I was very much out of my comfort zone <laughs> thinking. I mean, I, I, there was a bit of me like going, at least I've got a tracker on compared to normally when you'd just be out there really worried on your own. I was like, at least people will know and they can see that I'm stuck and I'm not going anywhere. Um, but yeah, that was quite, quite daunting. <laughs> yeah. And I do feel like they are paying quite close attention to the dots, especially when they know the weather's moved in and things like that. So, um, but still, I mean, it's, you're alone and your mind, you're sleep deprived, your mind goes to some, some pretty crazy places. Right. And so, um, that kind of leads us into the story of your last 42 miles. So at this point you have, traveled over this very difficult terrain for over 200 and you know over 200 miles well over 200 miles and you have 42 miles to go um you know you can and th people are probably listening and thinking you can like touch the finish line almost right you can smell it um and then those of us watching you know my heart went out to you <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> I've been in some pretty sleep deprived times trying to kind of make my way down the trail and I know how hard it can be to like just exist in that state, right? And so take us through like, you know, in that moment, kind of what what was going, like, I guess leaving the last checkpoint, right? Entering kind of that time frame of that last day for you. Were you were you also thinking, like, oh, I've got this, I can push through to this last part? So I I'd always thought if I got to that 42 mile checkpoint it would be like the glory leg home because that's a day you know I've done I, I don't know how many 40 mile days I've done in this year but probably 30 something like that 20 30 um <laughs> the problem was I couldn't sleep at the last checkpoint so my my cough was really bad um it was communal sleeping area I lay down I had a proper I'm not asthmatic but I had a proper asthmatic attack um couldn't breathe coughing 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 got up the medics kind of examined me gave me an inhaler tried to go back again and was I, I was just keeping everyone awake so you're you know there's 10 people I was just like I can't do this this isn't fair on anyone and I'm not sleeping so I'm not getting anything from it 
So like, okay, I feel okay. I've had food. I've had a little bit of a rest. Um, it's 60 miles. So there's a half checkpoint. I can get there and I can sleep because they open up this church. 60 miles. I can do it. So I set off and I was feeling okay. Um, it was super cold. I don't know whether it was actually the coldest night or it was just that I was going slowly. Um, about eight miles there. So half of the way. I'm still feeling okay, but I'm really cold. There's a mountain rescue car. So they have like support people, <clears throat> you know, safety vehicles. I said, can I go into your car and put on some extra layers? They said, yes. Um, so I did that, kept going. And that's when the the urge to sleep just became so overwhelming. So I'd be kind of getting by, you know, when you, you feel that urge and you just lie down for five minutes and then you're, you're like, yep, good to go again. But it was just so cold. I knew that I couldn't do that. It just wasn't safe to do it. So I had to keep going. And this is when it was the most terrifying terrifying experience I've ever had because I, I I ended up sleepwalking so I was going I would be going down the path and then I would fall asleep and I'd wake up you can see it on Strava 50 meters 100 meters whatever it is off the path or back up the hill or on a side alley and it I, I can't even describe how scary it is because half of me knew exactly what I was doing I knew exactly I knew the route I knew where I had to get to it's really easy now it's all on kind of forest tracks it was the easiest part of the Pennine Way, to be honest. And, and half of me knew exactly what was going on. And the other half was utterly out of control and was just taking me away from where I wanted to go. And then I'd wake up, I'd be, at one point, I remember so clearly thinking, trying to work out if this was a nightmare about the spine race or if this was a spine race. And I can remember that they're like, it must be a nightmare. And then looking at my Garmin, I could see the like red line off the path. I was like, no, that is the Garmin. And then I was I like shouted at myself, wake up. And I heard my voice. So I was like, no, this is actually the spine race. It's the most, it was, oh, it's the most utterly terrifying thing because I it, I was just so out of control. Um, and eventually I got to the little village. <clears throat> so I had torch. And I, by that point, I had no idea what was real and what wasn't real. I was like, are you, re are you really real? <laughs> And um, long story short, got to the checkpoint, they assessed me, but you're only allowed 30 minutes in the checkpoint. I was, if someone could have said at that point, you know, we will take away your job, we'll take away your house, we'll take away your family if you sleep. I would have said, I don't care, I just need to sleep. It was that strong. But they they said to me, you, you've got to get out of this checkpoint. Like, so I remember 28 minutes, I think I was dozing whilst they were listening to my chest and things. Um, they're like, Lucy, you've got two minutes to get out. And I said, like, I don't care, I just need to sleep. They literally just bustled me out, um, put a bowl of food in my hand. I was like, eat this, and then took me down to the church, which is about, I don't know, a K away or something. And they opened up this tiny little church for people to sleep in. So you get, it's the most surreal thing. You go into this church, and there's, you know, it's a typical Brink English church. You, you can picture it. And there's athletes sleeping in the pews, like on the floor in between the pews. Um, and they basically just dumped me there, said, get your sleeping bag out, have a sleep. And I, I didn't even set an alarm. I just lay down and I, you know, the fact I didn't set an alarm, that shows where, where I was. And um, yeah, I woke up, it was two and a half hours later because um, I texted mum just to say, I'm okay, sleepwalking. <laughs> um, and then I texted her when I woke up. And I... I think I was just so disorientated and it was it was so terrifying that being out of control that if if I was a medic I would have DNF'd me and I would have actually 
For the first time ever in my life, I would have happily succumbed to that DNF because I was terrified going up this final mountain with, you know, with a really bad chest, having been in this terrifying disorientated state. But anyway, they let me go. So then the next 26, you know, it's a marathon. And I was like, how long can a marathon take? And at one point I was just, and so I was like, okay, if I can get to the top, the sun is going to come out. I knew it was going to be sunny. So it was so cold, but the sun was coming out. As soon as the sun is up, then I can rest safely. I can do, you know, I can nap. So just need to, just need to wait until the sun comes up and got that it was a couple of hours, I think that I had before the sun came up. And um, yeah, as soon as it came up, I could make it, but I was napping along the way and going off course quite big time on the way. And just generally making a mountain out of a molehill. <laughs> it really is that factor. Of, it must be a being alone that, I mean, it, it really makes me like scared listening to the story, right? Because I, I have always had someone alongside with me, right? Who's has their wits about them, isn't in that state to at least kind of keep me centered. But that feeling of not being able to figure out, am I in a real or fake life, right? Like dream right now, right? Like where, where in time am I is, is so interesting. And so I'm curious, you know, you're a doctor, you know, a lot of science about what is humanly mm -hmm. possible, how the mind, how the body works. Has this experience kind of changed anything about what you think about what the body and the mind is capable of for humans? No, I think people said to me, like, what are you scared of? And I, I think I've, I learned through Iron Man, I, I, I can dig deep holes. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I have, even as an age group, I've ended up on a drip in the medical tent because but in the middle of the race and still finished. And um, yeah, I, I never DNF'd. So I always, no matter what was going on, ran through injuries, probably when I should have DNF, ran through hyponatremia, ran through, whatever. I always found a way to get to the finish. So I think... This was just another level of of pushing myself that I found, and um, I, in a way, I, like a bit of me is quite proud of myself. I'm like, yeah, I can push myself as hard as anyone, and a bit of me is quite terrified because, yeah, it's not healthy, is it? <laughs> and I don't know whether you know, with with reflection, I know I said I I wasn't racing anyone apart from myself, but actually, I was doing an exceptional race, and had I not falling apart my finish time would have been really special like still miles away from Claire Banworth but Claire's a different level compared to anyone who's done it before it would have been really 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 respectable so I can't work out whether I am disappointed that I messed it up so close to, to something really good or actually I'm just really proud because I wasn't doing it as a race and I was doing it to push myself and to have these experiences that you can only get in a in a race setting and I certainly got those um so I think I'm you know it's probably a better story Lucy does first ultra and smashes it it's not that exciting <laughs> and I think for my fundraiser um because I was fundraising for for my charity I think that the slower I got and the harder it got the more people were like whack some money in so. yeah Probably it's a really good thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was great to have. I mean, you know, the dot watching is there. The spine race folks put on a great show with the production to kind of keep people engaged in, in the pictures. But it was really nice to have Nikki on your social media, kind of you know giving little bits of what she could figure out was going on and some <laughs> updates and things like that. Um, and I do think it was very helpful for you know sharing that journey that inspires people and then you know, just so many people 
will not take this on themselves, right? But it is so inspiring to watch you be intimidated by something, right? Still and take it on. And so maybe they're, what they take on is a little bit smaller, but still just as great for them. And um, I think it's so inspiring that you've shared your journey as part of your fundraiser for Move Against Cancer. I checked this morning, Lucy, you raised over 25,000 pounds, which is $32,000, which is amazing, amazing. And we are we will put the link for that in our, our show notes and people can continue to donate um, because that is, that's truly, truly impressive. I mean, 268 miles is impressive too, but $32,000 for, for the charity is also nothing to, you know, scoff at by any means. Do you know what I'm, um, well, firstly, I saw that you made a donation, so thank you very much. Um, and yeah, Nikki was just incredible at telling, the, with very limited information, yeah. <laughs> telling the story. And I actually, I found some videos last night that I thought I'd sent her, but they hadn't gone through. Um, so she did such a good job at bringing people along. Um, but yeah, the the charities, um, I co-founded it. Um, it's something that is very, very special to my heart. And actually as a small charity, that amount of money is, it's just a game changer. So I'm just blown away really and and so grateful to Nikki that she turned a silly challenge into something that's actually so much bigger than that um so yeah <laughs> and uh last question for you Lucy um you know what was the aftermath like physically how are you were you able to get right back on a sleep schedule and feel pretty good or has that been a challenge in itself no, do you know, what? I, I I was really worried I wouldn't sleep, but I slept. Um, yeah, I've been sleeping. I was back at work. So I finished Thursday night, back at work on the Monday. I have been <laughs> quite tired. <laughs> Did have to have a little night lie down yesterday, <laughs> just for five minutes in my office. <laughs> um, well deserved, well deserved, yeah. <laughs> taking the power naps into the hospital. Um, but yeah, no, generally better than I than I thought. I think it's too early to say, really. Um, people say it's a, a long recovery. Um, but yeah, I, I'll take where I am right now. Well, thank you so much for sharing these stories, Lucy. I think everyone's really going to enjoy hearing about it. And like I said, even if the winter spine race isn't, you know, what's next on their list, hopefully something equally as intimidating or scary to them. Um, you know, this gives them a little nudge maybe that they could do that too. So thanks so much. Thank you so much for, for chatting. <laughs> Thank you so much to Lucy for taking time to chat with me after finishing that insane event and the link to her fundraising. Alyssa, AminoCo has been a longtime podcast sponsor. And every time I'm listening to the show and I hear our AminoCo ad, I'm always shocked to hear how AminoCo co-founder Dr. Robert Wolf has run a marathon in under two hours and 30 minutes, 62 times. I just can't believe that's a real stat. Me either. It is very impressive. And it gives me a lot of confidence. Dr. Wolf knows what he's talking about when it comes to performance and recovery. I actually took AminoCo Heal before and after my recent knee surgery. I've been using Heal a lot after really big workouts as I've started to ramp up my training. And I also use my personal favorite, AminoCo Perform, before and during my hardest sessions. Do you have a favorite flavor? For Perform, I definitely go with the strawberry lemonade. It has a really light flavor and a little bit of caffeine that I think helps keep me focused during my really tough intervals. And for heel, I like vanilla. I just feel like vanilla gets me into recovery mode. What about you? 
The Vanilla Heel is my favorite too. I find it mixes really well into my post-workout shakes that I make. Wait, what do you put in your shakes? Well, oftentimes just whatever I have in the fridge, sometimes vegetables, sometimes collagen, you know, whatever I have. Summer shakes are way more interesting because it's like I make them cold. The winter shakes are a little less fancy. Do you ever add snow to your winter shakes? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to start doing that now. I don't know. Make sure it's clean snow. I am not quite as fancy. I just add water. It, I think it still works pretty well. But uh, however you like your Amino Co, you can rest assured that in clinical trials, muscle protein synthesis from exercise more than doubled by athletes using Perform and Heal was shown to trigger muscle growth and repair better than other high quality protein sources. Head to aminoco.com slash ironwomen to see very large photos of me and Haley using Aminoco products. Then select your favorite products and use code ironwomen for 30% off at checkout. First time purchases also come with a free gift. That's aminoco.com forward slash ironwomen and code ironwomen for 30% off. All right, Alyssa, I'm like starting to swim more again. And I feel like you were swimming a lot last year with oh, with one water. And how did you keep your hair from get, getting so destroyed? I was swimming so much last year. And I used to try hard, Kelly, and I still swear by it. They have extensively researched this problem and created a superior vegan, dermatologically tested proprietary blend. Try hard has shampoo, conditioner, body wash, and more stuff. Everything you're going to need for your pre and post swim necessities. I've also seen that top pros like Chelsea Sodaro and Lucy Charles Barkley also praise the effectiveness of Try Hard. I think it's like definitely changed how good I feel just coming out of chlorine. And we have a code right now too for anyone who wants to try, you know, try Try Hard and stop suffering from dry, itchy skin, having their hair get all, you know, green, which happens to me because mine's like super blonde and get all beat up. You can try any of the TryHard products with the code 20FEISTY, that's 20FEISTY, for 20% off store-wide at tryhard.co. So that's 20FEISTY for 20% off at tryhard.co. Is in our show notes, so please check that out if you are able. And Haley, afterwards, uh, I was so caught up in the dot watching and all the, um, you know, hoopla around the race. And I noticed that I, another fellow retired pro triathlete was also caught up in it. Um, none other than Miss Rachel Joyce, who I was oh. like, oh, I was like, Rachel, does this, does this sound interesting to you? Like, uh, maybe we should put this on our 2025 project list. Like, let's do it. And she she quickly did not say no. So I need to ping her again okay. because as we record this, entries will be opening Thursday when this podcast comes out. Oh. So I need to make sure Rachel is like on, and they fill, it fills up. It's like a very competitive, I think, entry. So um, yeah, I need to ping so, Rachel so again is, and like peer pressure The her. two of you both racing, like one of you is not crewing. You're both going to race. Oh, well, I'm so hearing? I, I'm like, definitely, I need to spend the next four days thinking if I should be signing up considering I'm not even running yet, but um. I definitely like, I feel like it's a year where it would actually fit for me because not too often you want to be like prime condition in January. Right. And so yeah. for me, I'm looking at like optimistically like September, but like most likely October, November is when I'm like really 
feeling like competitive in racing again. Right. So for me, like January actually seems like a great goal to have, you know, um, I don't know how seriously, I think she was more looking at it as like an experience event. I would definitely be going to like race and see what I could do, but it would be so fun to know Rachel's out there too. I think she would probably like take to it. She's British. So like, I feel like they're just naturally she likes tough the for that kind of ring. thing. Right. And she did do, she did Leadville. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. She had, I mean, she totally, I think, um, would be great at it. So I am going to peer pressure her a little bit, but <laughs> Ooh, keep us posted. I'm hoping I, yeah, I think you should just go ahead and sign up. I mean, I don't know how much it costs or what the whole commitment like, but I don't even think I know yet yeah, either, really, actually. I don't think I know either. So we'll find out. I'll update you next week. Okay. Alyssa, have a great week. Enjoy watching the trials this weekend. We will have to uh, come back with our picks and see how they all did next week and celebrate. And uh, otherwise, just have a great week. Bye, Haley. You've been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Lydia Russell and produced by Ellen Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.